You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. What I would like to do to serve this time is spend most of our time in the Q&A. That way we can really utilize this time to get into the questions that you are actually asking what I would hate to do with this breakout session is to answer a lot of questions that you're not asking. And so, um, be thinking already, when it comes to either a new church or a new station of ministry, what are the leading questions that you're asking when it comes to liturgy? That's a very broad topic, so that could be uh, developing, you know, a collection of songs that you would sing, or wisdom in thinking through um, how many songs you should sing in a service, or um, who should be involved in leading, or what does it look like to develop a band, or to think. There's so many things in the first five years of worship leadership in one local context. I mean, there's so much. It's a ton of work. Do, do you find that to be true? Okay, so... A little bit of backstory. I, I started leading worship in 1995. I was 15 years old. I'm 39, so I've been doing this for 24 years. And um, in many contexts, uh, four different church plants. Um, the smallest church that I helped serve in was 30 people. The largest was 12,000. And so I've I have done a lot of different looking things. Uh, for the last seven years, immediate experience, I went to a church that was... Uh, a church plant from the village called Providence Church in Frisco, Texas, just north of Dallas. Was there for seven years and served as a worship pastor. And then eight weeks ago, planted a new church called The Trails out of there. And so uh, for those of you who are in a new ministry, I'm right there with you. Um, the guy that just walked in is an enigma. Many think a mythical creature, but he does exist. This is Matt Papa. And uh, Matt has been my writing partner for, I mean, I, I think 12 years. It's between 10 and 12 years we've been uh, attempting, attempting to, <laughs> I remember the evening, uh, we've been trying to bend the English language around the glory of Christ. That's what we try to do. Um, and serve the church through songs. And um, so, Matt, will you come stand with me? Sure, it's yeah. a little awkward, but we are here mic'd. And so I want this to pick up for you as well. But um, tell us, say, would you tell us like the last three years of your life, yeah, yeah. what that's so looked like, and then and then right now what you're doing? Sure. So similar to Matt, I've have served in a few different kinds of uh, church environments. Um, the the sort of mega thing, the sort of you know average size thing, and now currently I'm in um, a church planning scenario. It's a church about a year old. And it's in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, so yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's uh, it's something that my wife and I have have wanted to sort of get back to for some time now, and um, you know, so it's I guess many of you maybe in this that very same context now. There are uh, there's so many things about it that we enjoy though, with with all the 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 sort of frenetic. Uh, aspects of the environment there is uh, a lot of life and uh, it's a lot of fun so that's that's kind of currently where we are yes yeah. so we're eight weeks old how old is is uh, your church um a year 
about a year. Um, Christ Covenant Buckhead. Yep. And uh, a year old, and you've been there, but you've been around since the very beginning, though not you didn't move there at the very beginning. Right. But you've been around yeah, there yeah. from the very beginning. Yeah. And um, what were some of the leading things, the values going into into creating this new church that were present in 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 the gathering? What kind of values were articulated? Mm-hmm. So, the. Um, I, I, the, the the compelling thing to me about the the values, uh, in large part, are that were that are that they are distinct from a lot of the surrounding churches in the area. So like, in uh, in the city of Atlanta, you have a lot of like liberal, um, empty churches with like beautiful buildings, but they're totally empty, you know. Um, and then you have a lot of uh, sort of pop church, like like we we would call it, like like big production, big hoorah kinds of things. Um, but not you know nothing really like what this the, the church we're part of now is, which is just a very familial, um, uh, Bible focused, gospel focused, um, discipleship focused kind of church. So that was the compelling thing for us is that in the context of, of the of the city of the of Atlanta in particular, um, for us to, to, to dive in there. For us coming in, it was those similar kind of things. We we were intentional in having the gospel be the center of our gatherings. Um, you know, Dallas is a place that also is filled with the same kind of churches that Matt described, Atlanta. Those two cities are very similar. Um, and so I, I love that this the familial uh, was a value for Christchurch. Uh, that has been also, I don't think, an intentional value for us, but it feels that way, right? How many of your churches smaller than, let's say, 300 people? Okay. And so part of that is just the size, right? It feels like family because you can know most of the people. Um, When planting the trails, uh, I wanted to go really slow. We started with a pretty large group of people, about 350, 400 people. And so that's a really large church plant. I don't even call it a church plant. I just say we started a church. Um, Part of that was a large sending body from Providence, our sending church. And then some of it was just this massive... Um, collection of people from the community just eager for a new church to be planted. So where our church is is on the on the fringe of Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. So it's on the far north. Like you, you can see the drop-off from where I live. Do you remember this from Nemo? The drop-off is like this is where it's all up. You know, it's just the end. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where we are. And um, we wanted another like faithful gospel outpost there. Um, Values that I came uh, to the liturgy with were Scripture throughout, the Gospel at the center. Um, And we started with, uh, in the book of Philippians, and so Philippians is a book that really establishes us in joy. And so I didn't have this as a value like that that I thought would be there, but joy has been a tremendous value of this whole planting process. Um, I don't know why I didn't see that before, but I want our gatherings to be marked with great gospel-fueled joy. 
Um, and there's so many other tensions that we have to consider when thinking about the first five years of a, of a new ministry. Um, how do we make sure that our gatherings are Trinitarian? How do we walk in this balance between God's transcendence and His imminence? How do we live in the reality of God's revelation and our response? And ensuring that these various nuances and, and ideas are resonant within the meeting of God's people. So, um, how thankful I am for God's grace and patience with us in, in trying to um, produce a church gathering that honors Christ, that brings genuine joy to people. Um, the service being at the, at the center of this as well. Uh, everything we do to help build up and make disciples. That means knowing the people that we're discipling. Knowing the people that we're called to love and serve and putting them at the center. Putting them before our own preferences. Um, that's all been very eye-opening for me just in the last few months. So, hopefully you've had some time to think through questions. Let's steward this time well. What are the burning questions that you're asking? And Matt, thanks for jumping in here with me. Thanks. This guy is a fountain of wisdom and so I wanted to pull him in here to get his his voice on this as well so what are the biggest questions that you're asking as far as new ministry church gathered be selfish man Can I start with that? Yeah. I mean, so the role of, uh, the question was, what is the role of an elder team in overseeing a liturgy? And I would, I would say it's everything. Like that is part of your responsibility as a team of elders. Ultimately, you are responsible for everything that happens. Now, does that mean that you'll always be involved in choosing those songs or, or helping with the AV team? Probably not. Uh, how long has your church been going? This year's 40th year. 40th year? Yeah. And how, how long have you been the pastor there? Two months. One of the pastors. I'm, I'm the yeah, second, third, fourth time. Okay. Yeah, so I think just ongoing conversations of um, how do we best hold our practices up to the Word of God and reshape those and continue to rethink them so that they're most pure and biblical as we can get them. And uh, having these open conversations and dialogues along the way. If you've just been there a couple of months, I think the importance of going slow is really important. Go slow. 
How many of you are going into a new ministry context, but an existing church? Is that the most? Is that the majority of you? Oh, so you've got to think really slow. So like Matt and I have this great luxury of being in new churches. So the paint's still wet, concrete's not set. We can do anything, and this is what people will expect. Well, this is I guess what this church does because they're new. But those of you who are in uh, established churches, you've got to think like I'm going to be there for the next ten or twenty years. And so, um, how can we just slowly move oh, forward? Oh gosh, sorry. That was the force or something. Uh, anything you'd add to that? Uh, yeah, I guess I would just say, so you could subdivide the question into two, you know, uh, how do you involve elders? You know, you could think of it like implementation and, and like the sort of preparation uh, of, of what's happening. And the way I guess the way we do it, uh, and the way I guess you know I, I, I could see it would be helpful to be done would be um, so we involve like there's there's a probably a new elder leader person every week who is up on stage reading a scripture or praying or something to that extent. Um, so we're roping folks in, and and, and actually um, you know women to some you know to, to a large extent. In prayers and, and like readings and that kind of thing, and then uh, so we're involving our elders in, in that. But in the preparation, it's it's mo- it's um, more like once a semester, once a quarter type thing, where we're huddling up and saying what needs to be in our in our worship. You know, primarily it's like me and the pastor, you know, week to week, sorting sorting all that out. I don't, you know, if you had like a group of ten people sorting that out all the time, it might get a little. Uh, crazy, but you could think of it in those two ways, you know, in terms of the preparation and the implementation to uh, to rope people mm-hmm. in to what you're doing. That, that that's really helpful. So even thinking like, what values are we going into uh, as we think about our gathering? Uh, Matt's word implementation there. This is what I've been doing for uh, a decade: is just stealing Matt's words mm-hmm. and thinking about them more, trying to change them. Uh, so implementing is a second phase so how, how, what does that look like in our church and, and then evaluation looking back through like okay how is our implementation going how are, are our values being seen in, in and through there I think that threefold uh, scale is really helpful for us what values we're bringing to the table how do we implement that's the best word how do we implement this and then how, how do we review this and on this continual cycle and I don't mean review as like we come with a scorecard, but how do we review as how do we continue to strive toward excellence and beauty and faithfulness in uh, in our gatherings? How do you introduce new songs? Like, and how often do you sing them, or do you pick the same thirty songs and sing them for two, three, four months? I mean, how do you do that? That's a great question. How, how have you introduced new? How many new songs have you introduced so far? Hmm. Um. I mean, at least I would say one a month, probably maybe even maybe even more. So we're 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 fairly fast paced, I would say, on the on the fast paced end of of things. Um. I you know in terms of like really zoomed in. Um, I will a lot of times if it, if it's a 
if it's a new hymn, I'll um, sing through a verse, like an entire verse. Uh, you know, just have everyone listen as a more like a performance, and then let's sing this together. And uh, you know, what I'm saying like when you present a song for the first time, or if it's a like a worship song, praise song, you know, sing through the chorus and then diving into it. You know, so that's like very zoomed in in the moment on uh, on presenting a new song. But um, but yeah, I think like um, it's it's like a yearly reevaluation of 30 to 40 songs, um, and those are not like uh, really, you know, we're not too legalistic about like using only these 30 or 40. But generally, there's about 30 or 40 that we that we ha- kind of cycle in, in through, and um, and then we're tucking new songs away and thinking about what, what we want to introduce coming up, but, um, yeah. I, I think that's probably like a great number, which is somewhere between 30 and 50 songs for about a year. I, I just think if we're always kind of um, introducing new songs to our folks, I just feel like they'll never be able to settle in. And plus, think about this, if you're introducing like two or three new songs a month, then you've got like 36, let's say you have 36 new songs that year, how many of those are you really going to hang on to longer than that? And so you can almost, you, you can almost treat songs, um, well you can think of singing like um, songs are meant for communion or for consumption. And um, I really want our, our church to, to think of songs as this is part of our communion with Christ together, not to just consume them and then hate them afterward. Do you ever feel that? Like you, you've sung a song and then like in, in 36 months you hate it for what it is. Uh, I'll give you a point in case. Like when's the last time you sang Lord I Lift Your Name on High? <laughs> or Shine Jesus Shine? Do you ever, do you do any of those songs? <laughs> you don't? Matt? Do you do Shine Jesus I just Shine? did Lord I Lift Your Name on High. What? You did really? No, no. No. Oh. <laughs> Let me tell you, both of those, both of those are really good songs, but what happened is, is like around that time, like 95 to 2000, we learned to just consume a song, and then we use it for a while, and then we grow tired of it, and now it's like repulsive if you would do that. Like if I came to lead music at your church this Sunday, and I was like, so I was thinking like, Lord, I lift your name on high, shine, Jesus, shine, oceans, so but you'd be like, what? Is, what? Like, yeah, these are all good songs. What's wrong with this? But why don't we go slow and intentional in building the hymnal of your church? And your pastors should be involved in that work. Don't go in that work alone. Uh, You want to have your pastors involved in seeing what you're singing. Even if they don't want to be, I would still involve them. It's like if your wife hates the budget, you still, okay, once a month, I'm still going to sit down with you. We're going to look at the budget together. Still, from time to time, sit down with your pastor. These are the new songs I'm thinking about us singing. Let's talk through these together. I, I, there's, there's some safety there. So introducing, we're introducing a new hymn this Sunday called Jesus, Fount of Joy Eternal. Matt and I just finished it, if it in fact is even done. <laughs> but we're at least going to sing it this Sunday and try it at our church. And um, so here's what we're going to do to introduce that. Um, we're preaching through Philippians, and so, you know, Epistle of Joy and this hymn will really help just us sing through some of the things that we're learning from God's Word. And so we're going to sing it twice through. We're going to sing it as the second song. And then we're also going to sing it as our song of response. Uh, maybe like a little more like chill. And uh, so I have an intern that leads the singing in our church right now. 
And uh, he's led worship maybe 20 times his whole life. And so I, I was, uh, I'd already actually finished the bulletin this week, and that was what we were doing. And he's like, he texts me, he's so kind and humble. He's like, hey, uh, notice that we're doing the same song twice this Sunday. Is it okay if we don't do that? And uh, I was like, just trust me on this. This will really help our church sing. How many of you have done the same song twice in one service before? Yeah, do you find it helpful? I do too. I, I, like, there's no rules to this. We're just making this stuff up. Um, and so we're going to sing that song twice. And I, I think our people will be encouraged. I think by the time they leave church, they'll be singing that. And then throughout the week, they'll be able to sing it then. Um, I think slowly introducing new songs, finding the best of songs, and thinking over the long, over the long term rather than... Uh, so we're not trying to pick songs just to get through the weekend. We're trying to pick songs that will carry us through our lives. So don't think just week to week. Think, what are we forming people for? And, and think through, you know, look at your list, 30 or 40, and, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's always good to think through sort of a balance of what you're saying, you know. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we're people with personality quirks, and we tend to like certain things and certain aspects about God and certain styles and you know to you know so that's it's important to try to be uh, broad and and uh, objective with that that is a great that's a great word so for example um, you know hymnals are are arranged topically so if you look at the index of a hymnal it'll go through uh, the different topics that are going to be sung about a great exercise for a new church, for a new ministry, is to index by category the songs that you're singing. And to see if you are, in fact, singing a broad scope, or if, like, out of your 40, 50 songs, like, you know, 90 of them are about God's love. And then, you know, one song about His holiness, half a song about communion, <laughs> and so forth. So yeah, making sure that uh, our index is is strong, that we're singing uh, the whole counsel of God's word, if you will. That's a, did that fully answer your question? What sort of um, like advice would you give, or maybe any resources that come to mind um, in terms of um, like writing prayers? For a congregation, like a profession, or you know, um, better for a congregation, but also you know, broadly uh, yeah. accessible and um, not like hyper specific, but still are sort of ministering to specific people while still being accessible. So writing your own prayers is that is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. If you wanted, if you had a you know a sort of arc. Do you do, you do uh, written prayers? We do some of that. Do you write them personally, or are you reading from like Valley Vision, or we do we do sort of a prayer. mixture of both. I, yeah. What I mean, what I would say, if you if you wanted to, you know, that that sort of aspect of of your liturgy, if you wanted that to be a very um, an authentic part of your congregation, like people were always writing new things, 
um, and, and, and prayers. That might be a good thing to relate it back to what that first question was, to um, both both get uh, various elders uh, feedback on the prayers you're writing or have them writing prayers. Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, it's almost like, because especially confessional type prayers sometimes um, can be tricky and uh, it, it's just, it'd be helpful to get a lot of eyes on those. And, uh, and even, you know, as you do that, you might find that some there's like, man, we really, really like this one that we did you know, two months ago, let's do it again, you know, that kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. and you start to kind of, uh, they, they, they take on a, a song, a, a written uh, kind of feel to them. Even reading through hymns at certain times might be helpful, mm-hmm. right? And so a lot of those are, are, are prayers, except to music. And so, yeah, I, I think there's wisdom there. Just running, if you're going to be writing prayers, be sure that other eyes are on those too. There, in writing prayers that people are going to pray with you, you're helping shape people's. You're putting words in people's mouths, so we have to be very careful with that. You know, so is that something y'all do already? I've done it like once or twice. Just when there's like a specific, you know, sort of thing that I was going for that I couldn't find, that I found it really challenging to, to do that to like get outside, you know, myself and write something. It. It's a great way to get other pastors and members involved, though. You know, it's a great, it's a great thing. Now, we're, uh, I just took over in August uh, in this position. Um, it's a four-year-old church, and we're really longing to move into a more liturgical-style uh, service. Uh, in the amount that we have a liturgy, it's just like an order of service. We sing a few songs, you know, what, basically what you you described uh, yesterday, uh, but man, uh, I don't even know where to begin. I talked to Charlie uh, early about, uh, earlier about this, and he gave really great advice to move slowly, um, but I don't even know, like, how to begin mechanically, like, do I, how I lead and instruct a congregation who have no category for a confession uh, at all. Um, and how to even begin introducing that, what that looks like, what uh, the expectations are of the congregation and of myself, and how to do that in a way that's not clunky and weird. Okay, yeah. So. Okay, so um, Corey? Which Logan. Logan from Brady. So Brady, Texas, I have some, uh, I know a little bit about his context, so Brady is a town of like 900,000? No, it's it's about two or 3,000. Okay, how large is your church? 200 people. Yeah, so like 20% of the town comes to their church. Yes. Um, and so if I was in rural Texas, uh, because I am actually, the town that I live in is only about 17,000 people right now. And so um, this is what a confession of sin looks like for us. I want to start there and then I want to come back to the... Um, so this is what a confession of sin would look like for us. We're very casual. Uh, this is, I live in a very non-academic culture. We do business and sports. That's it. Those are the only two things that our, our culture kind of lives and breathes. Yeah. So the arts, so like where Matt's at in this very artistic part of Atlanta, like we don't really have a tolerance for that where I live. Uh, neither do your people. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Unless like art is like... Uh, 
hey, watch what I can do with this shotgun. Yes. <laughs> okay. And so um, this is what a confession of sin would look like for me there, because this is what it looks like at our house, at, at home for us. So uh, let's say we've just come out of um, how rich a treasure we possess, and we're about to sing um, "Lord, I Need You," not Mars song. And uh, so we've just sung, you know, "There's the Kingdom and the Power and the Glory forever, Amen." And uh, so I would come out and say, and before we sing this next song, we just saying that we have this treasure in Christ. And because we have Him, we, we don't need anything else. But, but every day we live as if that's not true. So would you take a minute and just tell God you're sorry for the times that, uh, that you live like that's not true. And I'm And I just let the awkwardness sit there. I would say, or, you know, I might say, would you bow your head and let's just tell God we're sorry. You know, that's, that's biblical language. I'm sorry. So it just doesn't have to be... Li- so, um, yeah, let me finish this thought. Back. So, yeah, and that's it. That's our confession of sin. And then we sing, Lord, I come, I confess. Thou in here, I fell my arms. Without you, I fall apart. The one who... Something. My heart. God, God's my heart. Um, so, that's it. That's yeah. it for us. What part of the um, hope of this conference is you would not want to go home being more liturgical. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is a terrible target. That should not be our goal, that our services be more liturgical. Our goal should be that our services always point more and more clearly to Christ. That's our goal. Whatever shape and form that finds, so be it. But I guarantee you, so brother, your church sings the word, prays the word, preaches the word, reads the word, sees the word in communion and baptism. I'm positive that happens. Right. So we, we have to be careful navigating these conversations that we don't just look for other forms because we'll start to idolize the form instead of worshiping the one that all of this points to. And so yes, let's be intentional in, in what we're doing. But I would just caution all of us. That's really the heart of what this conference is, because liturgy is a really popular subject. But the reformers were never after, let's try to build the perfect building. It was let's point people to the perfect perfections of Christ. And so that's our goal with all of our worship services, as simple as they are, or as ornate as they are. Uh, You mentioned in a previous breakout session that at one point in the church you tried on some liturgical forms that didn't work out. Can you uh, talk through your experience with that, how that worked, what you learned from it, and how you were able to evaluate this isn't for us? You just want to embarrass me? (laughs) (laughs) Matt, how would you answer that question? (laughs) Yeah, so um, I grew up a Southern Baptist. How many Southern Baptists are here? Okay. How many Presbyterians? Okay. You guys have everything. <laughs> and uh, Bible church folks, any other strong denominations here? Episcopalians, Anglicans? Any Anglicans here this year? Okay. CRC. So I, I'm sorry? CRC. CRC? Okay. I love how you distance yourself from the Presbyterians there. That's strong. So, you know, we come from a really low church tradition, like free church. And so uh, I grew up feeling like the Presbyterians had really thought through everything, and the Baptists had just been riding their coattails forever. Yeah. <laughs> That's mostly true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. 
<laughs> I tell people I like to keep a couple of Presbyterians around just to keep things legit. <laughs> you know? But being a Baptist, uh, you know, we kind of have this inferiority complex that goes back to the beginning of, of really Baptistic thinking in life. And so um, what I found through long, deep study was the beauty of simplicity of our practice, the rich heritage that, that is, is mine in the free church tradition simplicity and beauty of these five things that we're talking about in the service. Part of what Baptists were uh, fighting for and dying for was just the mereness of these things. And it was after the purity of them. Okay? Now that being said, Presbyterians are, are, are thinking the same thoughts. I, th- I do think this is true. The Anglicans are thinking the same thoughts. We're all after the same thing. It just fleshes itself out differently. And so... I would look at a Baptist order of worship and be like, this is just so just revivalistic in nature. There's no thought behind it. It's just a Billy Graham crusade on Sunday morning at your church. Um, but if you trace it back, this is actually what, what the free church has always been doing. Singing, praying, preaching, having communion and baptism. So for me, if people are praying to Jesus, preaching Jesus, singing about Jesus, I'm happy. If that comes with high liturgical order, that's great. If it comes with total, I want to say disorder, it's probably too strong, uh, but just very loose, that, that's great too. I just think part of this is just pastoral in nature. So it would be um, not helpful. Brother, where are you from? From Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Elizabethtown, Kentucky. It's a very conservative place, probably pretty like uh, formal Presbyterianism. Is that true? Uh, it's it's mainly Baptist land. Oh, okay. There, to be honest okay. With you. Uh, okay. There's just a couple of Presbyterian churches. Okay. Whatever. Okay. I'll use Lig Duncan, our senior statesman, as an example. The worship at First Pres, Jackson, Mississippi, um, would have a hard time translating to Brady, Texas, and honestly, just to where I live as well. Um, and so we have to have pastoral inclination with the same values to still serve and love. The that we shepherd. And so, yeah, so I read uh, Brian Chappell's Christ-Centered Worship, and I thought, my goodness, what a glorious vision for worship. I'm doing that. <laughs> and so I did. And so it wasn't hard, because we were already, we were, our, our service already looked like that. But the Sundays that I would preach, I'd be standing on the front row, just singing my guts out. And the guy leading, I could tell, is like, oh goodness, did I skip the assurance of pardon. <laughs> like, we were becoming these like, liturgical robots. And uh, there's no steps that we have to take to become acceptable before God. That step has been taken. We're totally accepted through the work of Jesus. And so I, I didn't want us to feel like we had to do these things in order for our worship to be acceptable. That's the idolatry of liturgy. No steps. Totally accepted. Right. It's gloriously free. And so I tried Chapel's liturgy for a couple of years, and it's beautiful. And like it I, I know it serves churches, it just didn't work for us. It's just it's too complicated. So then I reduced it just to four main movements. Um, it's just the four words of the gospel. God, man, Christ response is how we then order our liturgy. 
And it looks similar to, ours looks similar to chapels. We start with a call to worship. We end with a benediction. We have some kind of confession of sin somewhere along the way. It might be sung. It might be spoken. It might be read. Um, There's an assurance of pardon all throughout because we can't quit talking about what Jesus has done. And um, we do a pastoral prayer where we do pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the passage being preached that would be applied to our hearts. So you see some of those same elements that chapel recommends are there. I just think it feels more, it just feels more like a, a companion rather than a law to me. So that, that's still what our, so our, like my liturgy has looked that way for five years from now. So you would, you would come to our church and uh, if you were, um, to tell you the truth, if you were just like mainline evangelical, it would feel like we are a little bit liturgical. I like low liturgical, but uh, it, it's not for the sake of feeling liturgical. It's just uh, we want it to be intentional. Any follow-up question to that? So you know, this is just like every step is God's grace. We just we want to honor God with our practices and um, always evaluate them as best we can for Scripture and in our context. Anything you'd add or say? Well, I I think to to maybe the last two questions. I I think I appreciate Matt's like you know, context is key. Sensitivity to where your people are and leading them slowly is is, is a big deal. But I think as as leaders, but you know, to your question specifically, I guess more. I think if you want to you know if you want to teach somebody geometry, you have to you have to immerse yourself in it and, and understand it or whatever. And um, I, so I think you know, going to. Uh, Anglican, Catholic, all these services, having your imaginations captured by what it's done and the way it's done and, and, and thinking through the lens of your people, I think you, you know, uh, can be doing that. And that's going to, that's going, that's the, you know, um, that's how you get there, you know, it's to, for you to become, a, become immersed in it. Yeah, I think to do this, this deeper work of understanding what the church is doing, that's our work. And then to synthesize that and to translate it into our culture, that's also our work. So by the time it arrives in our service, it feels really normal and natural. And then you can come by and, and explain this along the way. That's, that's a great question. Yeah. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm a church of Hodgesville, Kentucky. Very, very close to town. I actually live in town. What church? Uh, it's called Overson Heights Baptist Church. Uh, I've been there for about a month now. Um, so very, it's an it's a established church that celebrated their 60th anniversary uh, like, like two months ago. Um, but what is a, what do y'all think the best way is to find new volunteers for the for the music, you know, the worship program, um, and to kind of train them up? Um, you know, I mean, people come to, come to church by like, oh, my granddaughter can sing so well, and maybe she can't, you know, but, you know, how do, how do you find that out, and how do you plug in new people? <clears throat> what have you done so far? You may go first. Yeah, you can go ahead. So our church, our, you know, I, so I'm, um, I'm not involved in that uh, right now, but, uh, but I haven't for a long time. And so I just told our guys, um, if someone is as skillful as we need right now, let them be involved. Sure. Um, 
that that's a scale. Um, Harold Best has written a lot about excellence, what, what excellence is, and um, you know, excellence is not a, a target. It's it's a practice of just always improving. And so, right now, when with just a few hundred people on a general Sunday, we only have three or four musicians on stage at max because we just don't have that many musicians right now. And uh, we already want them to be on some kind of a rotation so they're not, you know, serving every Sunday. So, um, I'm glad you're hearing this repeated theme of just go slow. <laughs> just go slow. I would, what do you play? Uh, I would rather have you and a guitar than anything else. As long as that's good. Okay? If you're a good guitar player and a good vocalist, I would take you alone instead of you plus an out-of-tune violinist, or you and Sister Mildred on the piano. Um, I just think, like... What you got against Sister Mildred, bro? She's, she's lovely. <laughs> she is lovely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, t t do you mind if I chime in here? Yeah. I mean, I think, basically, there's, like, a, a low-wall philosophy and a high-wall philosophy. Um, and I think uh, what Matt is kind of articulating is more high-wall philosophy. You know, so you, and you can each sort of has its pros and cons. The pro of the sort of high wall um, approach is that you're um, it's slower, and the the excellence of the the artistry that's happening is is, is there. You know, um, the con is obvious that um, people aren't able to be involved as much as they possibly could be involved. You know. So I, I think you just pick a you pick a philosophy and you you go with it. So we've had like a 15 year old girl playing piano. This is going back to the church we planted from. I had a 15 year old girl and a 65 year old guy, uh, both in our band of musicians, and I love that. I love that high schoolers can serve. Uh, that that's fine for us. And so uh, we're auditioning an eighth grade girl next week, and. Uh, She's probably like her second. She'll probably likely be our, like our best, second best musician. Mm -hmm. And so I want her to go ahead and be involved. That's totally fine. Um, and then as the church grows, you know, the musical musical dynamics change. And so maybe an eighth grader can't always play. Um, but I think there's we do have to be intentional in training the next generation of musicians to come up and and be trained to serve the church. And so. I, again, like I just think slow and, and let's let's make it good. But I mean, that's that's coming from like we have zero musicians at our church that I would have play on a recording. So I'm not talking about like those are helpful words, by the way. Low wall, high wall. We don't have anybody at our church that I would take like on a comp to a conference or on a, on a record. But it's good enough for what we do. They help they help serve our church by helping us sing. If you're in a church plant or a small church, you just or maybe it's maybe it's this eighth grade girl. This is an example. Let's say she comes and she's like, can't keep up with the changes that the band is doing. Well, it's it's either yes, you're ready to go. This probably isn't the best fit for you, or uh, later. And that third option is like, all right, so here's here's a piano teacher we know. Take some lessons and learn how. Uh, to play like in a modern band application and keep learning to read by sight. Both are important for young musicians. And um, and as they grow in their skill set, then they're able to serve the church. 
you talked about just being intentional with your worship gatherings. So what are some of those intentional elements that you're thinking through and how you're thinking through putting them together? Maybe flesh that out with some specific examples of what that looks like uh, for a worship gathering. Well, I mean, I, I think um, I think you can be intentional with like the who, like the who who's involved, you know, um, involving various pastors in your church and not just the two guys or whatever, you know, involving uh, women as much as possible, um, various uh, you know di- ethnic backgrounds, diversity, you know, I think can be. Um, what was the word you used? Strategic, or uh, about um, about what you're doing with who who's involved, um, and obviously the the what I mean, intentional. That was your word. Um, I think uh, it's uh, it's you know it's it's everything this conference is about. It's the, it's the liturgy, and it's um, ensuring that. Uh, people are being well fed, you know, a balanced diet, you know, as a metaphor, you know, and, and having the God sin Christ response, um, having having that really balanced out well in, in your in your service um, through singing, through readings, through through all of it. I think um, we, um, you know, particularly the uh, in the confessions. Uh, in, in uh, sort of the second movement of the of the liturgy, we we try to because there aren't because there are so few songs that uh, adequately convey the idea of, of brokenness or humility or confession of sin. Um, you know, we're, we're try to we try to be really intentional to to have that um, moment in the service. Mm-hmm. We try to be really intentional on the um, you know. If you look at the sort of what's popular in in the um, the church's song canon, it does primarily revolve around the third that third movement, Christ, the redemption, grace, love of God, the cross, and uh, and and that's um, that's wonderful. Um, and uh, I think because of that, we need we have to to be intentional to like like at our our, our church we. Like Matt said, we do the call of worship. A lot of times we'll do just like a moment at the very beginning of the service of like 30 seconds of silence with pause, you know, and, and, and prayer. Um, and it's just like totally silent. And then and then we go into sort of a an anthemic like call to worship, majesty of God, holiness of God type type of a song. Um, so, I, you know, the, those the, really those first two moments to me, are are the ones you have to you have to like be more intentional about I think um, because there's just not a lot of content out there um, mo- you know modern content out there that gets at those those ideas mm-hmm. um, so I would add to that the benediction seems to be another way like you have to mm-hmm. really exercise intentionality. Um, I think how the church gathers and how the church scatters, I think, have to really be carefully considered with great intentionality. The middle part we're really good at. Um, but yeah, what calls us and what sends us. 
we need more songs to sing for those areas. Um, more thoughtfulness, probably. I, I love that you know, these categories that you uh, process through with that question on intentionality, because uh, I, I didn't even think that direction. But like, um, even if your uh, cultural context is pretty homogenous, to be modeling diversity is really key. So um, we have a pretty large Asian population in our area and a very large Hispanic population. And so um, the first worship leader that I brought in was an Asian guy. And I did that because we already have some Asian families in our church. But I want, um, I want our church to be gathered on the glory of Christ, but in all of its diversity. And for Asian people to feel welcomed and honored by coming, and Hispanic people to feel honored and welcomed. I'm having a Persian guy come preach uh, next Sunday. Um, who was my pastor for seven years, but uh, and so my first, the first guy coming to preach is a non-Anglo, as well. And so I, I want us to intentionally model that, um, in hopes that God would continue to diversify our congregation. So that was really helpful. Thanks for saying that. Um, so I'm going to use like a maybe very specific situation to ask a more general question. So like sitting and standing in a service during the singing. Um, so you've got people in your church who prefer to stand when they sing. You have people in your church who prefer to sit or are physically unable to stand for the entire time you're singing. So I guess my question is, how do you, in, in that specific situation or in every situation like that where people have preferences that maybe aren't necessarily wrong, um, how do you best minister to those people and implement aspects where you know there's going to be differing preferences, um, but again, not necessarily wrong preferences. Does that make sense? First, you want to listen to those things. Uh, we have to be really careful not just to dismiss people, but to honor them. And, uh, for one, be grateful that they care about how we worship. Um, secondly, if someone said, hey, can we start sitting when we sing? Um... I don't know, that actually kind of sounds refreshing to me. <laughs> I would just think about it. Like, I would say, you know, most of the time we're going to stand. Maybe every once in a while we will, we will sit when we sing. So saying that you want to be really careful what you say to people. So I, I would think through that before I specifically said that. But part of gathering together as the people of God is um, leaving behind our individualism and walking in a new way of life, in a new manner of living, and that's together as the people of Christ. And so, I might use other examples in the church, like maybe you've got, uh, maybe the style of your music is like Western swing. Okay, is it? Okay, let's just say it was. And uh, you have this really like, uh, the media used this word in a breakout earlier, this like neo-soul musician who's coming to your church. Um, you know, they're probably having to die to their musical preferences as a member. And so I would, I would use examples like that. Like, did you know, like, we've got this wonderful saxophonist over here that, like, music to what we do, it's not a great fit. And that's what he would really prefer to do, but instead, 
He's here joyfully singing with the people of Christ. And uh, maybe use even a personal way. Like, I personally wish we did this when we gathered together. But that's not the most loving thing that would bring unity to our church. I'm telling you, like, just personally hand in the air, there's like 20 things I would love for us to do as a church in our gatherings that just do not serve our people. Like, if it was up to just me and mine, it would probably look a lot more English and liturgical than what we do. And so there's things that I'm leaving behind as well. For the glory of Christ, these things these don't matter. They're preferential. Um, they do matter in a sense, but there's a greater sense that we're called to die to ourselves and put others first. But I'm telling you, if I had a church that was average age 75 years old, we would sit when we sing some. That's just fine. Does it make sense? Like just who do I, who do I, who am I serving? Let's know them. Like, if we have a lot of old people, let's sit and sing. Does this sound good? You know? And there's Sister Mildred in the back. <laughs> I'd love to sit. Let's, yeah, let's sing. There she is. I redeemed her. Mildred, yeah. I, I think it's a great chance for you as a leader to both, number one, understand what you believe about stuff. You know what I mean? Like, why do we sing and why do we stand up and why, you know, to think about those things, you know, it gives you a chance to, to, uh, to understand. And then secondly, as, as a leader, it gives you a chance to cast a vision. You know, once you know your why, you can tell people your why and then, you know, maybe they'll follow the why once they hear it, you know. We're about a year and a half old church plant meeting in an elementary school. Um, this community is very lost. Um, younger families just don't care about church. think they're probably already Christians because they're from Texas. Um, how do we, how do I like engage lost people in singing that think they know Jesus and they don't? And like, when we sing, not a lot of there's not a lot of engagement. So, like, how to work through that? There's two questions there, right? The first is like, how in our singing, how are we speaking to lost people? Yeah. And the second is on like congregational engagement. You take one of those. Well, I, I guess my 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 first thought or reaction is that. Uh, um, I think I think did you have Tony Maria speak at this conference? Mm-hmm. Has he already spoken? Yeah. Okay. I just got here, so I, um, I remember Tony saying once that he, um, when he preaches, he doesn't preach to Christians or non-Christians. He preaches to sinners, and I always thought that was so helpful, and um, and I think it's it's I think the same is true for uh, for a, a musician leading worship. Um, you know, you're. Uh, you know, and I know you could get all like theological, philosophical, and say, "Well, only Christians truly worship God," or what? But I think you um, either in, in the role of preaching or in leading worship, you're um, you're calling sinners to behold Christ. You know, and so there's a, there's I think there's a you're the worship leader, mm-hmm. so I think you should, um, as awkward as it can be. And, and the sort of people staring at you and all that, I think you should you should find a comfort in that 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 you're um, that you're do, you're doing what you can do, you know. Yeah. One one thing that I've used over the years uh, when I would lead, 
we worship would just say, the very beginning, just to disarm lost people, is to say, uh, for the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to be singing about who our God is and how much He's loved us in response to how much we love Him. And if that's not true for you, we don't expect you to sing these songs. But would you just listen in to what it's like for us as Christians to experience God? And boom, right there. I've just given permission for a lost guy to just sit and listen. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I've, I've energized our church to be mindful that what we're doing is a proclamation to the lost. Oh yeah, I forgot it was that. And so, you know, in one just quick statement, I'm addressing both of those people. And, and putting, again, this is back to, let's continually recover the things we already do with their full intent and beauty. And right there, I just, just we sing. So how do we sing? And there, because there's, what I just gave was two contexts. There's actually like a hundred contexts for why we sing. Uh, it's, it's so multi-layered. But there's two of them. Claimant of singing to the lost and from the lost perspective, listening to the truth. So that's Psalm 96. That's what that is. Um, can you guys talk about your kind of thoughts around benediction? Um, most of the pastors at our church kind of tend to use that moment as a reminder of like the main application from the sermon, so like an exhortation or a challenge as you go, remember. Um, and I tend to prefer a more traditional blessing. Uh, can you talk about like pros and cons, or what you guys think about that? Something I'm trying to wrestle through. Mm-hmm. So I kind of see that as both. Um, I, I think what I appreciate in what you're already doing is how do we take that moment and help it send us into the world on mission. And so it sounds like that's <coughs> happening. So that's that's incredible. Um, whether it be remembrance or blessing, you know, I think it's hard to it's hard to make the scripture fit what we want to happen there. It's just like it's all of those things. We're continually <coughs> commanded to remember, and so that can be a really helpful thing. You know, we also see at the end of letters often a blessing given, so we see precedent for both. So, if I was there on Sunday morning and at the end of the service, a pastor got up and called us to remember the main point and go and go and live in newness of life. Wonderful. He's there. It says, "The Lord bless you and keep you. Call His face to shine upon you. Be peace." Wonderful. So we, I do something different every week, and um, sometimes I'll have people like raise their hands, like, that's a big deal for us. We do have, like, two people that raise their hands, but most of them just sing, or sometimes have them um, just bow their head a moment of silence. Sometimes I'll pray through a portion of Scripture, or pray through a benediction, blessing them as they leave. I'll oftentimes just embellish a text, so I'll start with, like, you know, um, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, and just start praying through that, and just, like, gathering in all these things that we've heard throughout the whole time and just dump that on our people as they leave. And so I, I try to be creative with that. Anything? Um, I don't really have much to add. I just, I guess I, I do both as well and I, I try the best I can to make it um, have an element of 
an element of poetry to it, whether it's reading a hy- uh, reading a hymn text or something. You know, um, to me, like a, an aspect of, of it doesn't have to be poetry, but something you know, maybe an older prayer, but it just gives a sense of a a period. You know, on the end of the sentence, um, that uh, that I think is important. Um, our time is done. Did you have a question? Well, I mean, I did, but um, <laughs> uh, I saw your finger go up just as I'd said that. So, if so, hang out. We can we can talk. Um, thank you for being here. I hope this was helpful. I really wanted to just, um, I really wanted this time to serve you, and just for us to. I knew this was going to be a smaller group, so we just dialogue through some of these things together. And so, um, can we just pray a prayer of? Blessing over our churches. Lord, I thank you for these leaders and for uh, the way your grace has been working in and through their lives. Thank you for your grace that saves and sustains and seals for the day of Christ Jesus. I pray that between today and that day, that uh, our lives will be marked by ever increasing faith ever-increasing joy, full confidence that you who began this good work in us will see it to completion at that day. We thank you for the joy it is to worship you with our brothers and sisters who we have covenanted together in our local churches. Give us love for your church. Help us to lay down our lives for your church so that she might be strong built up, encouraged. Help our gatherings be biblically faithful and pointed to the glory of Christ. Empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. Pray all these things to the glory of God. Amen.